Come on back, and we're going to uh, start in the Psalms tonight, and we're going to so- start in Psalm 53. And um, let me give you just a little recap on what, why the Psalms. Well, first of all, it's the Word of God, but um, <clears throat> we haven't done it yet here at Calvary Chapel, and we're going through the whole Bible. So this is one of the last three books we haven't done. But what, what does the book of Psalms do? Well, first of all, all of you know this, I'm sure, it's poetry. There's a lot more involved than to the person who only reads English. And by the way, I'm a person who only reads English. Uh, But there's a lot of poetry and there's a lot of lyrical uh, stuff that's going on here in the original language that we're not privy to if we don't speak it. So that's beautiful, and I think it's interesting, don't you think it's interesting that a creative God uses a creative way to set forth his holy and inspired word that's stronger than a double-edged sword, and it can do its surgery in the right way on us through poetry. I don't know about you. I'm just going to say it like it is. I didn't grow up liking poetry, folks. But here it is, and uh, I'm blessed by it, and I hope you are too. And what else does it do? I mean, it gives, gets us in the rhythms of the daily um, discipline, I guess you would say, or overflow of the heart of praise, praising the Lord in all situations. We're seeing almost every human situation that there could be contained here in the Psalms And we're seeing how people interact, if that's a way to say it, commune with the Lord. And we're seeing the same things that happen in our lives happen to these people. And we're seeing a way in which we can respond to all that the Lord has done. And so I pray, and we all pray, I'm sure, that at the end of this, we would be in the habit of being people of praise even more and more. You folks are people of praise, but could there be enough? I don't think so. And so uh, I hope this is going to be a blessing to you. The danger of it is to sort of just go, "Ah, okay, the next psalm, the next psalm, and to sort of not take a look at it because they're very similar. And yet, uh, you're going to see tonight... In order to get all of the meat off the bone, so to speak, you and I, we are going to need to know the Old Testament. That's one of the, another great thing about the Psalms. Many of the Psalms, you don't know when they were written, but some of the Psalms you do, and we're going to run into some of them today or tonight. Well, the first thing we're going to take a look at, or the first Psalm, is Psalm 53, and I'm going to make this real easy for you. We already did this Psalm. You're like, what? No, we haven't. We're only on 53. No, we did Psalm 14. And Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are almost identical. There are three differences. The sub, uh, uh, at the beginning, there's a different title. Psalm 14 begins like this. For the director of music of David. Psalm 53 is for the director of music according to Mehalath, a masculine of David. There's another difference. Here it is. In Psalm 14, verse 5 and 6, it's worded a little different than in Psalm 53, 5. I'll let you look that up. 
And the final difference between the two Psalms is the use of God's name. In Psalm 14, the writer uses the Lord, Yahweh, in the different verses. Here he uses the word God or Elohim in all the different places where God is mentioned in Psalm 53. But most people, most commentators believe the difference, the big difference is it was used in a different musical arrangement. Uh, and you know, you, what do we call it when a, uh, another group sings an original song? Isn't that called a cover? Yeah, so you know people do that, like do remakes of older songs, and that's probably uh, what's going on here. The theme in both psalms is the salvation of God because both psalm ends with the words, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion, etc., etc. That's the fastest psalm I've ever done in my life right there. So turn, on to, turn over to Psalm 54. Now here you would need to know 1 Samuel 23 and 1 Samuel 26. They were these people called the Ziphites. Not Zippites, like Zippies, but Ziphites, Z-I-P-H-I-T-E-S. And David is running from Saul. And basically, the Ziphites, both in 1 Samuel 23 and 1 Samuel 26, guess what they do? They turn in David. But don't miss this part. And this is the important part. Ready? Ziphites are from the tribe of Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. And so this is a song or a psalm, Psalm 54, of a man being betrayed or hunted down by his enemies. And by the way, his enemies are his brothers, his friends. So a song of betrayal. Look at this. Psalm 54. To the chief musician... Can you believe that? He's writing a song about betrayal. He writes it all up and he goes... Here, here you go, worship director. Play this. What an interesting topic for singing. But it's to the chief musician with stringed instruments. And it's a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? In other words, he turned him in to Saul. And right after this, what happens? Saul runs to a couple caves. We'll talk about that in a minute. And if you go with us to Israel, Lord willing, and he doesn't come back first, you're going to go to some of these caves in En Gedi. Anyway, here's the psalm. Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me. What's fascinating about that, isn't it? We know they're not really strangers. They're Judah. They're from the tribe of Judah. And he's calling them strangers. He's like, Lord, vindicate me by your name or save me by your name and vindicate me by your strength. And please hear my prayer for these strangers have risen up against me. In other words, 
They're doing stuff I don't even know them. You ever said that about a person? I don't even know who they are. You're, you're exasperated with somebody who's close to you. Has that ever happened to any of you? And you feel betrayed. And you say, Lord, they're strangers. And these oppressors have sought after my life. They've not set God before them. And what's really fascinating, we love the little pause word. We think it's so cute, man, and just the perfect worship place. He's going to put Selah, and it's going to be so cute and wonderful, and we'll put it on a Hallmark card and get it up on Instagram, and, you know, all the cool Christian ladies and men are going to put it up, and it's going to, that, that's not what this Selah is. He's saying, people betrayed me. Think about it. <laughs> Pause here. And I think what he's saying is, in the right way, think about how much it hurts when somebody's done that to you. And we all are human, and we don't always live up to what we can do. And we sometimes hurt people who matter a lot to us. Well, anyway, then he goes on after Selah, and he says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. Now, I want you to just think about something here. David didn't get on Instagram or get on the phone or send an email or call all his buddies together during Monday night football and say, what in the world should you think I should do about the Ziphites? I want you to notice and I want you to think about this because when you feel betrayed or stung or hurt, or perplexed, or confused, or you get in a situation where you're hurting, you know the pit in the stomach situation where you have trouble sleeping type of thing, oftentimes what we do is we run to people. And one of the great things about David is he knew what to do. He immediately just says, save me. In other words, he's praying right off the bat. There's nothing wrong with godly counsel. We are to call it, to have it. But going to the Lord first and foremost, because the Lord does our battles. And he says, save me. See, what you see in those first two English words there, save me, is the practice and the discipline of godliness. Are you getting it? It's what people who are godly learn more and more. What? We even sing it in an old hymn. We learn to trust him more and more. Just when we're non-Christians, when we have a difficult problem, a betrayal, whatever it is, we freak. We stay up all night. We try to figure it out. We try to manipulate the situation. And then we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. We find out we're sinners. We repent. We have the Holy Spirit come to live in our hearts. And we learn more and more to trust him, don't we? And here's one of the disciplines of godliness, turning to the Lord first and foremost in prayer. How many of you honestly can say, I go to the Lord first? Or do you say, as soon as the boss says this or the doctor says that or whatever, you go straight to what, whatever it is you go to or whoever it is you go to? Right? We all sort of do that sometimes. And here's the practice of godliness it's why I'm convinced one of the reasons David is a man after God's own heart, even with murder and adultery in his history. 
It's because he was a person that kept short accounts with God or went to God in repentance quickly and also practiced godliness. When he got off the rails or when he was feeling whatever he was feeling here and it was the ultimate betrayal, pray. It was like breathing to him. And boy, oh boy, I pray that's what we are like. That's what I'm like first. And that's what we're like. Now, I've got to say, there's a number of different ways to pray. You in the morning, pray. You when you're driving to work, you can pray. You during lunchtime, pray over your lunch. You can pray personally, of course. You pray with the word. You get the word out. You pray with the word, correct? You have a journal maybe, and you write down your prayers, or you write down thankful things, or you write down... But I got to tell you, there's another thing, folks. It's called corporate prayer. And I'm just going to tell you flat out. A church... Now, really, this has been said about a pastor, so it's being aimed at me first. A pastor who's not praying is just playing. But wait a minute. A church that isn't praying together is just playing. So what am I going to tell you? I'm going to say be here at the corporate prayer time, 7 o'clock on Sunday. I'm not guilting you in to do it. I'm not guilting you in. I know things, some people have things. I'm not. But if you have a person in your family that you're seeking salvation for, if you have a prodigal, if you have a problem at work, if you have a relationship problem, if you have know of a lot of people who you want to see salvation come to their house or their heart, you know, don't miss corporate prayer. Let's do this. Not so we can say, take a bunch of Instagram photos and post them up here. Let's say, that what if we were all rowing in the same direction and the, the corporate prayer time would be filled to overflowing more than the teaching on Sunday morning? I pray we get to that place. I pray as we practice the discipline of godliness, we recognize that the only one who can do anything about our betrayals, our hurts, our unforgivenesses, I know that's not a word, but you know what I meant, any, all those things, every circumstance of life, there's only one who can do anything about it. Now watch, it's save me, oh counselor, or oh whatever. And we're not against counseling. No, it says save me, oh God. Now, I'm not guilting anybody. But man, let's see if God would do something in our hearts first that we would be people who mourn over sin and be people who pray together so that there would be a revival, not might be, before the Lord comes back again. Don't we want revival? Okay, so what is more important, Sunday night football or revival? I mean, and I, nobody likes football more than me. Trust me on this. Nobody. Or whatever it is. It's the practice of godliness. It's him running to the Lord. It's the church runs to the Lord. If you guys have a different idea of when to do corporate prayer or whatever, let's talk about it. But we've shifted it around, and 7 o'clock on Sunday is just the time so far. But anyway, save me, O God, by your name. 
and clear me or vindicate me by your strength. Power, Psalms tell us, belongs to God. And his strength is his character. And he wants, in the short term, David to escape from these silly Ziphites and to clear his name because, I mean, they're saying, you know, he's a bad guy, you're a good guy, Saul. And he's like, well, wait a minute, you're my brothers. So all of that's going around, and he's like, hey, Lord, hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. And he tells them what? The strangers, the oppressors, and they are not setting God before them, Lord. And what he's saying is, I don't want to get off the rails again because I'm comparing, but my brothers over there are not. And I feel like, you see how honest he is with the Lord? And I feel like the Ziphites, not me, deserve to be turned in. (laughs) He's really honest. And then he says, and here's the pivot. There's always a pivot with David. There's always a pivot in the poetry. Now he's going to turn towards God. Behold, God is my helper. I'm praying this to you, Lord, he says. I'm invoking and asking you to vindicate because of your strength and your character. And the pivot is, I know the promises of God. That's why you need to study the Bible. Some people have said there are over 3,000 promises in the Bible. I've never counted them. But there are many promises that you and I can stand on. So here is one of them. God is my helper. You see, there's the pivot. He goes to what he knows is true, not what he doesn't know is true, or not the situation, because the situation could drive him up and down. You know what I mean? The roller coaster of life, emotionally, spiritually, etc. But he says, God is my helper. I know that to be true. Even, look, when I'm hunted, he's preaching to himself. Do you get this? David often would preach to himself. You're to preach to yourself. God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. You're like, what did I just read? Sometimes the Lord sends friends. You, ever, you know the, what, what they say? We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, there it is, folks. Right there it is. The Lord chooses to use people or friends or maybe sometimes even enemies. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. There's people he sends into my life, praise the Lord, that help me uphold my life. But the Lord is the hand behind human help. Do you get that? And I would say to you as a body of believers, pray and ask the Lord who you can help. And be the hands and feet of him today or tomorrow. Because this is really valuable. You don't know who's being betrayed. You don't know who is having a terrible, terrible day or whatever. Go and uphold the life of people in the strength of the Lord. It puts a new spin on what your day is all about. I got news for you. Your day is not all about you or me. We're called to something way different, way different. We're called to give ourselves away for the glory of God as friends who go and check on people. You know what I try to tell the people in the school of ministry? Here's one good tip. When you're driving home from work, call somebody you don't normally call 
and ask them how they're doing and talk to them. I don't see a lot of heads bobbing. You're like, hey, I'm an introvert. I can't do stuff like that. Why not? Call somebody you wouldn't normally call and ask them how they're doing and then really follow up. That's just one thing. You could do a million things. The Lord is with those who uphold my life and he will repay my enemies for their evil. He knows that the enemies are going to be taken care of by God. Maybe not immediately, but they're going to be taken care of by God if they're not doing according to the will of God. By the way, he knows it. And they're people from the tribe of Judah. You get that? Our lives count here. We will be judged on what we do here. Don't worry about that. Praise the Lord for that. It's a great doctrine. It's what gets you up in the morning. God is a judge. He's fair and just. You're not going to be judged on salvation. That's a done deal. The Lord, the blood of Jesus Christ. But you are going to have be judged on what you've done with what he's given you. Doesn't mean you have to be a Billy Graham or, you know, a Greg Laurie or somebody like that. But what did you do with what he gave you? And then he says, cut them off in your truth. Cut them off in your truth. Interesting. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, our Lord, for it is good. Uh, and I want you to see something. We're into uh, chapter, or excuse me, verse 5, verse 6. Verse 6, I guess. And he's talking about giving free will offerings when the Lord takes care of the situation. The Lord hasn't taken care of the situation yet. You getting it? He's so confident in the Lord. He's, going, he's saying, when you do this, Lord, standing on the promises, I'm going to give a free will offering to you. So within six verses of somebody feeling terrible, I mean, to be betrayed by your brothers from Judah, David turned betrayal into a new opportunity to praise God because he just counted on the promises. Oh, come on, I'm gonna say that again, because that's pretty tremendous. I don't know about you, but I can stew over something for three days. No? Anybody else like this? Yes. And here, within six verses of something that's really sort of alarming, he says, I'm gonna freely sacrifice to you when you take care of this. And David? turned betrayal into a new opportunity to worship God. Amazing. Okay, good. We got some wows there. Now we're talking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> For he's delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Boom. Seven verses. Answered prayer for deliverance from adversaries but you wouldn't know too much about it unless you knew about the Ziphites. It's great how the Psalms help us to understand and lead us back to the Old Testament and help us piece together the Bible. Because when you get a high view, high view of the Bible, if, when you get the movements of the Bible. So I've never been a, a person who plays um, an instrument. But... I like what I know, right? When I hear something, excuse me, that's not how I want to say it. When I hear something I like, I know it. There we go. 
I just, I don't know anything about it. I don't know about the individual parts, but I know what sounds good. What sounds good to me is a guy named Schubert and Haydn, or Hayden, I don't know how to pronounce it. And when those guys come on, it's amazing, but I don't know how it all fits together. And that's the same thing that the Psalms is doing to you. It's giving you this massively high view of the Bible so that you understand the rhythms and the movements of the Bible and you get that first, and then you go back and you start filling in the gaps for the specifics, just like a concert uh, or a symphony would do, excuse me, or a football team would do. I had to work that in somewhere. Psalm 55. Psalm 55. By the way, there's a place called Ziph. It's a city back that time. That's about 15 miles southeast of, southeast of Hebron. And so um, it's out there sort of in the deserty places, uh, sort of west of the Dead Sea. Okay, Psalm 55. Most people don't know exactly when or why this psalm was written, or excuse me, when this psalm was written, but they, pro they think probably it had something to do with David's son, Absalom, who created a rebellion against David. And that happens in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 17. Now you've got to remember the rebellion included David still in Jerusalem as the king, but then he got run out of Jerusalem as the king. So some people debate, does, did this psalm, if it is about Absalom's rebellion, happen when David was in Jerusalem or was in, outside of Jerusalem? Verses 9 and 11 seem to indicate he was still there in Jerusalem. You're like, okay, just get on with it. But watch this. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, and it's a contemplation of David. Now, I, I titled this Handling Painful Problems. Anybody ever had painful problems? And also handling all the battles of life. That's this including, if it's true that it's about Absalom, watch this, a heartbreak in the family. Families, they're so unique, right? There's nothing like them. You truly can't live with them, can't live without them, right? You love your family so much, but in love, oftentimes, there's heartbreak, especially in families. Well, this is about that. So watch this. Give ear to my prayer. <laughs> Here he is again, practicing the discipline of godliness. He runs to prayer. He knows that God is real. Sometimes I think the church is play acting <laughs> by the way we act <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Do we really believe Jesus died and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father and lives to make intercession for us. Because if we did, when we had problems, like a son that's gone haywire, that's run you, the dad, out of town and caused all kinds of problems, in that situation, the king doesn't call his advisors first. He says, Lord, I'm coming to you. You're the only one that could fix this. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and don't hide yourself from my supplication. And what's interesting about this is, in this situation, if it's about Ab Absalom, David must have known. 
I want you to put this in the back of your mind. That his own, what would you say? Laxity, um, preoccupation with the kingship, uh, his, his own um, negligence as a dad must have led in some ways to the things that Absalom did. Of course, children have their own free will. And you can train them up in the way that they should go, but they still have free will. And so he must have known that. But he also knew this in 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 12, that this was part of the discipline that Nathan the prophet announced because of David's adultery and murder. You can read it there. So that's one uh, interesting thing as you read Psalm 55. Nonetheless, with those two things in his mind, where does he run? To the Lord. You're saying, well, come on, we're in church. You have to say that. Next time you have a big problem at home, write it down. Where do you run to? Give ear to my prayer, O God. Don't hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. That is so funny to me. My wife will say, why are you sighing? What's wrong? You're sighing. And she's right. And I'm restless. You ever not been able to sleep? I'm a worrier by nature, folks. If I have a problem, I have trouble sleeping. I'll just be honest with you. Psalm 127, though, interesting, it's either Psalm 2 or 3, said God gives us sleep. It's a grace give. But here I am. I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan. I sigh. You don't sigh? I must be the only one. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. You ever had somebody hate you at work or something? Does that bother you? You ever had somebody in your family do something weird uh, in the family or run out of the family or betray you? My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. He was so hurting, he just feels like he's going to die. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me. <laughs> it's so real. That's, it, look up anxiety in the dictionary. And horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, watch this, is this honest? Oh, that I had wings like a dove. This was my life before Christ. I would put this on my refrigerator. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away and be at rest. If I could just get away from it all. Sometimes we idolize vacation. But I got news for you. When you leave the problem on vacation, <laughs> Most of the time, it's still going to be there when you come back. So we better be able to deal with it through the Lord, whether it's there or not. Here, he says, I wish I just had wings and I could get away from here. I just want to escape. Indeed, I would wander afar off and remain in the wilderness. That's me before Christ, right there. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. This is too brutal for me. The circumstances are too brutal. It's too windy. It's too big of a storm. I can't do it anymore. I got to get away. I just want to fly away like a bird. I think there's a classic rock song about that, but whatever. 
Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. I mean, there was something dark and deceptive and dangerous. They were tiptoeing around on the walls at night to get him out of there, all caused by his son, which was really caused by his laxity as a father and also caused by his sin. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit don't depart from its streets. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me. Hmm. This is why it hurts so bad. It's either his own son or the counselor who flipped on him with his son that he's talking about. Because it's not an enemy who reproaches me. If it was an enemy, he's implying, then I could bear it. But to have a family member or a trusted friend stab you in the back, hmm, boy, oh boy. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him, but it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in the throng. So again, either Absalom or his counselor who flipped on him here and led to Absalom's rebellion. Well, 15, let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, here's the pivot. (laughs) He's gotten to the place where he's praying the imprecatory Psalms. (laughs) I mean, kill them is basically what he says. That's my prayer, Lord, that they would die. Think about it, it's his son or trusted counselor. As for me, I'll call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Now watch. If you have an unsaved friend or enemy, at the end of my time here, (laughs) I want to be able to write in my journal every morning, every night, every midday, I prayed and cried for them. In this case, he's praying about Absalom or his counselor. And and the Lord will, shall, hear my voice. Verse 18, he's redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. See, it's always about him, the Prince of Peace. He always asks you and me to operate out of a position of rest. Certainly, there's the day that you take to worship him. But interestingly enough, we worship on the first day of the week, not like in the Old Testament, the last day of the week. But here's why, I think. He says, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, if you're in this tempest, this storm, these terrible circumstances, you don't need to fly away. You need to rise above by the peace of God. That's what it is. And here, when you are resting in Jesus, even when the circumstances are terrible, you get a soul that's been redeemed in peace from the battle that was against you. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old, Selah, because they do not change. Therefore, they don't fear God. He has 
put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Maybe talking now about that counselor, Ahithophel. But here it is. Do you have something that's burdening you tonight? Or what do you do? You cast your burden on the Lord and he shall, not maybe, he might sustain you. He shall sustain you. One commentator said this about this verse. I love it. I think it's because I love sports, but no, it's not. It's probably more because I like being a dad. It's like a father and son here playing catch with the guy's burdens. Isn't that cool? Here, dad, take it. Bang. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Get to the prayer closet. But you, O God, verse 23, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. The practice of godliness. Well, here, turn it over to Psalm 56. To the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands. Yes, folks, they had titles to music. A miktam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but here's the title to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, that's the companion psalm. A psalm of David, Psalm 34, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, or King Achish, Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. For some reason, for some reason, not completely and totally understood, David, when he was being exiled, ran to a Philistine city for refuge and for Protection. He left Judah and he went up north a little bit and fled to this place called Gath. Now, I'm not real smart and I can't remember everything, but one thing I can remember is David's most famous story. And what was it? He killed Goliath. And what kind of a person was Goliath? Where was he from? He was from Philistine city, he was a Philistine. And he was a giant, and David slew him. You know this. So think about it. What got into him? (laughs) He's running from exile, and he goes into a Philistine city. You know, David probably in the mail, the post offices in the Philistine cities, he probably had his picture up there. And it probably said wanted. You know, what does it say when you, number one guy, what is it? You know what I'm talking about. What's that? Yeah, most wanted. He's, He's in the top 10 most wanted guys. He would have been in the post office. I mean, they would know him. And he runs to there. And he gets there and make a long story shorter, hopefully. He pretends to be mad, remember, and saliva. And it's like, don't you, when you read that, you go, well, golly, that's not very kingly of the the Lord's chosen. And then I go, hmm, 
sort of like me, <laughs> when I've acted crazy or when I've acted silly or when I've acted sinful. And that's what this one's about. And here's what he says. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. You, you understand what he's praying here? It's so perfect. Obviously, again, I've said this several times, David's not going to pray for justice here. <laughs> he was a goof. If you were, you know, being a judge, you'd go, what, what did you go up there for? What are you doing? But he doesn't. He prays for mercy because he knows our Lord is merciful. And here he says, be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. And I want you to see something here. This is an unrelenting pressure all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. And now many people right here need to pay attention, including me first. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In other words, can you believe it, this great warrior, David, stood up to this 10-foot giant and said, I, armor? I don't want your armor. Just give me five smooth stones and let me do my thing. And I guarantee you today we'll have his head because the Lord does a battle. That person is afraid right here. People get afraid. Whenever I'm afraid, though, watch this. I'll trust in you. Here it is again. It shows up again. There's this practice of godliness, this way in which we trust him more and more. Could you say right now, could you say there's something in your life you're afraid of? I could say that probably. I have a funny joke right now, but I won't say it. But, but anyway, I mean, right, we have things that we're afraid of, right? And you're wondering, and, and you know what fear does to people. But whenever David was afraid, he said, I will trust in you. And now watch. It's very closely related to something that you're doing now. In God, I will praise his word. In other words, when you, if you want to trust the Lord more and more as we sing in that hymn, find out who he is, his character, and what he does in his word. Know it. Know it on a high level. Know it in a macro. Is it macro or micro? Micro level. You know what I'm talking about, big or little. Know it. Pray about it. Talk to him about it. Go back and forth with him. And so that when you get afraid, you can trust because you know his word thoroughly and not just facts. You know about him now. Now you say, well, okay, well, I come here every Wednesday. I know, but folks, you have, what is it, 24 times 7. What is that? Or what's 24 times 7? Somebody do the math. Come on. 96? 186. There we go. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Get to the point where you understand 
that man can't do anything to you. If God is for you, who can you, who can stand against you? Get to that point because we're afraid of men, women, people. What's my boss going to think? Now you do want to do your best and be a responsible, godly person at work, but you know the irrational fears. I won't fear because what can flesh do to me? All the day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Uh, they gather together. They hide. They mark my steps. When they lie and wait for me, shall they escape by iniquity? He appeals here to God's justice. You see, he's a, he knows the Lord. In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. Now, I want you to see this. Somebody here who's had a tough seasons of life. You had something you've been crying about recently? No kidding, right? You've been pacing the floor recently? You've been spending nights where you can't sleep? Listen to this. You number my wanderings. The thing that comforted David in the middle of his entry into enemy territory, into the, the betrayals of his life, and the Ziphites, and the sun, and the counselors, and now him doing a stupid thing, and going into enemy territory. Lord, I've been crying over this, but you number my wanderings. You know how many times I've paced the floor. Isn't that a comfort? You know how many tears I have. You've counted them. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Who could be against me? Romans 8, 31. In God, I will praise his word. There it is again. It's tied to his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. By the way, he might be referring to the word from Samuel that he was going to be king. Do you ever think about that? Which means he know it's, knows it's going to come to pass. And that's how we feel about God's word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I'll render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? If you don't love the Bible, you're about ready to love it now. Turn with me to John 8:12. You don't think Jesus knew the word? Man, this is so great. John 8, chapter 12. We just went there. I'm getting so excited, I can't get there. John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. We always just stop right there. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So when you go back there, that I may walk before God in the light of the living, this light of life. Oh, to do that is to be the best and the healthiest place to be, to be walking in the will of God and walking in the light of the living. All right, we're going to finish with Psalm 57. Watch this. To the chief musician set to do not destroy a miktam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Now there's two possible places that he could have fled from Saul. It was in 1 Samuel 22.1, which is the cave of Abdullam. Or there was a cave in Engedi in 1, Psalm, or 1, excuse me, 1 Samuel 24. Probably Abdullam, but anyway, he's in a cave. 
Now, I know you're ready to go, but I just want you to think. of the fact that we're even studying a praise from a cave. <laughs> I mean, that blows me away. I'd be complaining in the cave. If Tim was in the cave, it would be, the title of this psalm would be Complaining from the Cave. To the chief musician, when he fled from Saul into the cave, be merciful to me, O God. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Now remember, just quickly, remember the mercy seat had the wings over top, the cherubim wings? That's where the presence of the Lord was. He's saying, I'm going to take refuge there. This was often used in the Psalms. Man, I'm just going to tuck myself up under your wings, which is a way of saying, Lord, I just need your presence. That makes me safe and feel protected and healthy and alive. For my soul trusts in you in the shadow of your wings. I'll make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I'll cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. That sounds like Romans 8.28 in the Old Testament. That the Lord, even when you make your own choices, always works together for your good, for those who love him. Do you remember this verse? It sounds like it right here in the Old Testament. He'll send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. There it is again, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now watch this. My soul is among lions. Where is he? He's in a cave. If you go to En Gedi with us, you're going to go, hmm, back then, this would be a place for lions. He's probably seeing lions. So his soul is among lions. He's talking about men, but there's the picture. He can't come out of the cave because there's the lion. And even worse than that, or maybe it's not, but anyway, is Saul and his men. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongues a sharp sword. By the way, in the New Testament, what's the enemy of our soul called? A roaring lion. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Be exalted above the heavens. He's turned now. Can you hardly believe it? He's turned the cave into a place of praise. As I said before, if it were me, it would be a place of complaining. He's uh, turned it into a place of trusting. Spurgeon said this, why in the world would God put you in a cave and set you amongst the lions? One, have fellowship with Jesus and his church. Two, drive people, the people of God, nearer to him. Three, uh, God has the lions on a leash. That's interesting. That's what Spurgeon said. But also to remember that there's a greater lion, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Here I am complaining, mad, 
criticizing, (laughs) doubting the Lord when all the Lord's doing is trying to drive you and me closer to him. Wow. They've prepared a net, verse 6, for my steps. My soul has bowed down. They've dug a pit before me. In the the midst of it, they they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast. So here's the thing. This is one prayer you and I could pray for ourselves. Lord, give me a steadfast. That means fixed. Give me a fixed heart, O God. My heart is steadfast. Who here, I can be involved in in a million things. I'm interested in everything. I am. I, I could, I like to figure out things, not build. I hate that. But I like to know stories and people and places and history, and I can get involved in a lot of stuff. What I really should probably be praying for is, Lord, just give me a heart that's just completely fixed on you. Because look, the heart that's fixed sings. In fact, G. Campbell Morgan said this, the fixity or fixity of a heart is the secret of singing. I actually looked up fixity because I thought there's no such word, but G. Campbell Morgan was right. Fixity of the heart is the secret of singing. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I'll praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. I want to show you something or read you something. There's this one man named Tholuck, cited in Spurgeon's writings, who said this. We might even have the quote up here. A hard and ungrateful heart beholds even in prosperity only isolated drops of divine grace. But a grateful one, like David's, though chased by his persecutors and striking the harp in the gloom of a cave, looks upon the mercy and faith or faithfulness of God as a mighty ocean, waving and heaving from the earth to the clouds, and from the clouds to the earth again, looks upon mercy and the faithfulness God of God as a mighty ocean. Wow. Look, I'll praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I'll sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. See, when you're with the Lord... Here it is. You don't have to fly away. You rise above with him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word and uh, your psalms that teach us the rhythms of worship and praise and the reality of life and the rawness of life and the hurts of life and the betrayals of life, and the victories of life, and all those other things. And Lord, how do we respond to you when these things come up? We're thankful for these beautiful poems and songs that we can come to and glean from by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.